Well, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. I hope you uh, can suffer through this with me this morning. Peg, would you go get, get me hot coffee, would you please? What, what are wives for? It, it will get uh, better and worse. It will throughout, throughout the day. Um, yeah, pray, pray for Gunner as he's at VMI. Uh, he is involved in, uh, in classes. It's a summer term, right? And then also doing physical therapy, also getting in shape. And so I know that uh, he, I, I texted him a couple times. I know that he would appreciate our prayers. And then Luke is serving up at uh, Clark Summit University at uh, uh, Team Leadership Conference. And I will be there as well. Um, this is uh, the 50th year of uh, Team Leadership Conference. Coach Jim Huckabee. Uh, started it in 1969, and it's been going. It honestly is one of my uh, favorite youth conferences that I've ever been involved in, and I'll be involved this week. They have, I think, 400 uh, teenagers and then plus youth leaders this week. Uh, I will be doing a lot with youth workers, and uh, including even tomorrow, I am speaking in the opening session for youth workers tomorrow. Do me a favor, please pray for this. If you think of it tomorrow, tomorrow night especially, because it's just, it, it, with that asthma, it's just phlegm and it just kind of kicks up. I'm feeling fine and all of that, but I appreciate your prayers for my voice as well. And uh, being involved in Teen Leadership Conference this, uh, this week is a real treat and a real blessing for me. Please take your Bibles and uh, turn with me, <clears throat> excuse me, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I'm gonna. Um, I want to talk with you about what I'm going to call the great decision, the great decision, and Luke chapter nine has a very. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry about this. A very interesting contrast in this passage that I want to talk with you about to get started, and we'll we'll look at that in just a moment. In um, in ancient literature. And this is just a, uh, a picture from the magic of Google Images. But in ancient literature, there is a story which is fiction of the lesson, or the legend, excuse me, of narcissist. Anybody remember that story? There are actually in history, it's old enough that there are several versions of the story. So if you read or heard a different one, forgive me. This is just the version. There's several versions of the legend of Narcissus. Narcissus was a young man who was actually, in all of history, and all the, the stories, was um, uh, very good looking. But the version that I read, and again, if you even go to Wikipedia, there's several different versions of that that what I'm going to tell you was actually put on him as a curse, okay? Here's the story that, that Narcissus went into this uh, park, into this, um, uh, you know, beautiful uh, scenery, you know, that, that kind of thing, and came to a brook in this beautiful park, in this beautiful forest, and that bent down to get a drink. And as he bent down to get a drink of water, he noticed his own reflection in the water, no kidding, and fell in love 
with himself and was so struck by his own beauty that he looked at himself and fell madly in love. And then he got up from the stream and there's no longer a reflection or whatever. And so he then, as part of this curse, went on this journey to find the object of his love, which was himself. And for the rest of his life, he never found anybody that was as beautiful as him, as himself. And ultimately, in the legend of Narcissist, that Narcissist, again, there's several versions, actually committed suicide because he couldn't find anybody as pretty and as beautiful as himself. The legend of Narcissist. Centuries have gone by, right? And forgive me, this is going to sound very uh, critical, but if you know me and if you are my friend on social media, you know I do this too. So I'm just being honest with you. Our generation today has become the selfie generation, right? In fact, you know that my specialty, my life, I spent a lot of time with young people and I spent a lot of time with students. One of the most popular secular books about the millennial generation, about the generation of now that are, that are young adults, was called The Narcissistic Epidemic, where the, this, this writer and others have said that in all of time that our culture has become so narcissistic. In other words, it's all about me. It's all about me. And again, I've, I've taken selfies. I do that with my grandkids. I, you know, Todd and I do it. We go to baseball games, you know, and all of that. And so I get it. I'm not, I'm not being critical of the phenomenon. It just illustrates my point, right? And that is culture has become very much about me. About looking to ourselves, having ourselves be the focus of attention. What I want to do this morning is talk with you about the fact that the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And even way back in Jesus' time, we're going to look at Luke 9, the contrast of, am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to live for myself and do what I want to do? Was prevalent even then in Bible times. If you have your Bibles, again, look with me at Luke 9. I'm going to put the passage up on the board. Luke 9, let me, let me read to you. This is our text, verse 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. <clears throat> now it happened as they journeyed along the road. Christ, let me just tell you what was going on. You can read about this in the, in the context around there. Christ was actually on his way back to Jerusalem. He was with his disciples. And the, the few verses before this, tell us that actually a multitude of people, right before this was the feeding of the 5,000. So people were saying, hey, if I follow this guy, Jesus, I might get a free lunch, right? Or if I follow this guy, he might do a miracle or whatever. So there's a huge crowd following. So as it happened, they journeyed along the road, or on the road, and someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, you can picture him turning to that person and said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere even to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. <coughs> but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's the contrast in this passage. Jesus said to some people, and I'm going to talk with you at the end. You have the notes there in the bulletin. That one of Jesus' commands, but one of his requests, one of his big motivations with his disciples and with you and me is for Jesus to say, follow me. That's what Jesus wants from us, and we're going to talk about that today. He said that, and the first, there's three people that I'm going to talk with you about in this passage, and three completely different responses from Jesus. The first one, the guy said, I will follow you, and then he didn't. The second one, Jesus said, follow me, and he said, now wait a minute, let me first go do what I want to do. And then the third person said, also, let me first do this. And then again, we're going to talk about how Jesus responded to all of them. In your notes, you have this little chart. And let me just work down through this for a moment with you in the contrast of this passage. And then we'll look at the passage and then wrap it up in just, in just a few minutes. In this passage, God is saying to us, follow me. We're going to see in just a moment, I'm going to talk with you about the end, that especially with his disciples, there's two meanings of the word or the concept, follow me. When Christ, and we're going to talk about that, you have the verses there in your notes. When Christ originally went to his disciples and said, follow me, it literally meant stay close to me, follow me around, be, learn, learn from me. At the very end of his life, and especially with the Apostle Peter, when he said, in fact, I'm going to talk with you about this. You have the verses. The very first thing that Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me. The last thing that Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me. The first thing meant, stay, learn from me. Follow me around. I'm going to teach you. The second one meant, Stay close to me. Peter, stay close to me. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing today. He wants us to learn from him. He wants us to stay close to him. Jesus is saying to us, follow me. What we don't want to be is like narcissists of old, say, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so the contrast is follow me or me first. Let me do what I want to do. The second thing in this passage is what is God? God is saying, here's what I want you to do. What we say is, wait a minute, here's what I want to do. My ministry, as you know, has been a lot with young people. How many times, I've, I've done this too, how many times have you said, especially to a young person, what do you want to do when you graduate from high school? Maybe, maybe there's a better question. 
Maybe the question ought to be, what does God want you to do? I think our culture has been, I, I really do, I think our culture has been that what I want to do trumps or dominates what God has for us to do. And that's what happened here in the passage. Also in this passage, I think what Jesus is saying is this idea of follow me is why is that so, so important? Because I think in following Jesus, we demonstrate our faith and trust in him. That Jesus can be trusted and that we're willing to put our faith and trust in Jesus for our lives, for our decisions, for our future, for our present, for our past. We're going to talk about that. And I think today, like at least two out of the three, if not three out of the three, would say, wait a minute, God, if you take care of the circumstances, then I'll follow you. If, if your life, if, if my life lines up, if I get to do all of these things, then I, I think that's the idea here in the passage. Then I'll follow you. And no wonder that Jesus was blunt in and, and his answers to them because what he wanted them to do is to say, Lord, I will follow you unreservedly. I will follow you with no exceptions, with no strings attached. I am not going to put myself first. I'm going to follow what, what Jesus says for me to do. That's what we're going to talk about. And that's my introduction. So let me pray, and then we're going to look at this passage together. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that your word is, is so, so practical. And um, God, in this passage, it seems to me that you've, you've nailed it for us today. The great decision is, are we going to follow Jesus, or are we going to live for ourselves? So, Father, use your word by your power of the Holy Spirit that you'd use your word in our hearts and our lives that we would get to the place if we're not already there, Father, where we would say unreservedly, unequivocally, I will follow you. Father, I thank you for your word. Use your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said before, there's three characters in this passage. So let me talk with you and kind of, for our outline, let me just paint three scenarios for you. We're going to do this quickly. Number one is, are we willing or do you trust, do you trust God, do you trust the Lord with your present? Let me read it. Verse 57 says, now it happened as they journeyed down the road that someone out of this crowd said to him, Lord, I will follow you. Lord, I will follow you. Notice, wherever you go, the language there is wide open. It's, Lord, I will follow you. But what happened is Jesus, who is God, who knew all, who was knew all this kind of stuff, really knew what his motives were. And so verse 58, he says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Interesting analogy. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere even to lay his head. And the indication here in this passage is the person who said that, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. When Jesus said, wait a minute, I don't even have a place to sleep tonight. If you follow me, I don't even have a hotel room. The indication is the guy left. I think in that passage, I think the thing that, 
at least that God pointed out in my life in, in convicting me about this, is are we willing to trust God with right now? And I think a lot of times in culture, what happens is we're willing to follow Jesus if Jesus takes care of the stuff, if Jesus takes care of the circumstances, if he takes care of, if we can visually see that Jesus is going to meet our needs, then we'll follow him. Then it's easy to follow him because it's all lined up. So this man comes to, comes to Jesus and said, Gee, I'll, I'll follow you. Jesus said, oh, yeah? I don't even have a hotel room for tonight. And the indication is the guy left. And we are so much like that. That if the things are lined up, right? If things are lined up and the circumstances look good, right? Then, oh, then it's easy to follow Jesus. And I think Jesus was saying, you trust me. I will take care of that. But it's not necessarily going to look like it's all lined up to you right now, right? I was a little kid. I grew up, you know my, you know my story. I grew up as a church kid. I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, thinking about this this week, I thought about this story. Uh, this happened to me. It was uh, missionary conference week at our church. My brothers and I were there with my mom and dad. I was sitting back here, back, you know, back, back in there with my mom and dad. We always sat close to the front. My parents were just like that. My parents were not ministry people, and it was our mission conference. Some of you have been to a missionary conference, right? Every night of the week, they had a different missionary speak, and the missionaries, before they spoke, would often get up and show their presentation. Okay, at my age, some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about, right? At my age, the, the presentations back then were often slides. Remember that? The missionaries, they all had one. It was like in the missionary rule book, you had to buy a slide projector. So they'd come with this thing, right? They'd set up a table, and here's this round carousel with the, with the square slides, right? And somebody would be there with a clicker, with a button, and they'd never, ever work right. And they'd have to turn out the lights. We have, we have PowerPoint and you know, TV, so we can leave the light on. But so it's, it's dark in the room, right? And I'm there with my mom and dad, and we're listening to this one missionary give his presentation. And if you grew up in the church in those days, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? The missionary shows his slides. There's him and his family. There's him in the seminary he went to. There's him on, this, on these trips, right? You, you can just picture it. There's the airplane that they went overseas on. There's the airplane up in the air. How'd they get that picture? I still don't know. Uh, here's flowers, right? Here's the sunset. The mission and the presentation is done. O only in this presentation, he's showing where they lived on the mission field. And I don't remember now if it was Africa or South America or outer Mongolia. I don't remember. But on the slides, I can visualize it telling you the story. Was this hut where they lived on the mission field? And the guy is showing, this is our house. We're so thankful for our house. And it's this hut. It's kind of like a mud 
that baked into bricks. It's kind of like, like that. And the guy says, we're so thankful God provided this house. And he's like, oh, notice in the front of the house. And it was kind of muddy. It was kind of that way. But in the front yard of this picture, slides, in the front yard of that picture, there was a dog in the front yard of the picture. Some of you are going to hate me for this illustration. I know. But anyway, okay. So then he said, oh, we're really thankful God provided the house. But for the kids, we're really thankful. We're really thankful that God was allowed us, allowed us to have our puppy, have our dog. And he said, he said this. It's really important if we're going to have, if we had a dog on this mission field, that we have a fence. It's really important that you have a fence for the dog. And I'm a little kid. I'm sitting back with my mom and dad, and I'm thinking, that makes sense, right? You'd hate to have Fido run out into the street, get stepped on by an elephant, right? I mean, I'm thinking America, right? I'm thinking our culture. Why would, it, why would they need a fence, okay? Then the guy, the slide switches, and they're on this journey up the river, down the river, whichever way you go on rivers, whichever way you do. And they came back. This guy's telling the story. And the guy walked up to the house, and the first thing he noticed, they'd been gone for a while in their house. And the first thing they noticed when they came back, that the gate was open and their dog was gone. And everybody in the crowd was like, oh. And I'm like, and no one answered the question. So here's the plane coming back to America. You know, here's the sunset. The slides are open or over. And they, they, somebody turns on the light. So everybody in the room, you know, it's dark and now it's light, you know, and everybody in the room. And every missionary, every missionary ever does this said, okay, before I share God's word, does anybody have any questions? I'm over there with my mom and dad, and I put my hand up in the air. And the guy's like, does anybody have any questions? Anybody at all? So he sees me over there, and he's like, yeah, kid, what do you want? Like, what's the question? And so you know my personality, right? You know me. I blurted out, what happened to the dog? And the whole crowd turned and looked at me like I was the biggest idiot who ever lived. I looked at my dad because it was like I really put this guy on the spot. My dad is looking at me like, oh, shut up, kid. You know, and it's like I look at the pastor. The pastor's looking at me like, and then he kind of looks at the missionary and does one of this like, yeah, I know him. The kid is an idiot. You know, and he's like, but the mission, I put him on the spot. So finally the missionary comes up to the mic and he said, <clears throat> you know, well, uh, in that culture they – don't get meat very often, and they probably ate it. I was crushed. I couldn't believe it. So I'm thinking there, right? I'm going to give my life to missions. You know, I'm going to go to missionary. I'm going to go to Africa, South America, or out of Mongolia, and I want to eat dog burgers for the rest of my life. This is the part you're going to hate me. Or hot dog get it they stole the dog they 
You know, sorry, it's, it's the worst <laughs> attempted humor I've ever given in my life. Here's the thing, right? Now, that, that doesn't happen today, but that, in my life, I'm thinking that's the last thing I want to do because we live in America and where stuff is taken care of and we don't want to go somewhere where we have to eat weird stuff or do weird things. And worse, all of us, especially, I think, those of us that, that grew up in church, we think, you know, if I serve God, then I'm going to be poor, and God's not going to pr provide for me, and God's not going to meet my needs. And after saying that, I think, I think that's exactly where this guy is that came to Jesus. Lord, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever it is you say. And Jesus said, okay, birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes. I don't even have a hotel room for tonight. And the indication is the guy left because I don't want that. And I, are we willing to let to trust God with our present? That right now, God can meet our needs, take care of our needs. It's easy if everything is lined up. It's easy if we can look for tonight and say, okay, I got a reservation for tonight. But if Jesus is saying, trust me, I can take care of that, and we don't see how it's lined up, then we're like that guy. And the indication is that unless those things are for us, then we're leaving. And that lack of trust, that lack of faith there is too. Number two, we're going to do this quickly. Number two is, do we really trust God with our future? Let me read the next story to you. He said, <clears throat> verse 59, then he said to another, there's this crowd following him. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60 says, then or Jesus said to him, which sounds incredibly harsh, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And again, the indication is that the guy left. He didn't want that set of instructions. Jesus, it sounds harsh, but basically was saying, there's nothing you can do. Now, commentators say that the language here is this person, let me go bury my father, that the father wasn't even dead yet. That the excuse that the second guy gave, the excuse that the second person gave was, let me go take care of my affairs first. Let me go take care of my life. Let me take care of my responsibilities. Let me first go and take care of those things. I think there's a common principle that's woven through Scripture. It's often in Scripture. And that is when Jesus, or when the Lord says, follow me, that it's very human. It's very typical for us to say, but Lord, I'll, I'll follow you someday. I'll follow you when I get old. I'll follow you when I get enough money. I'll follow you when the circumstances are right. But let me first do what I want to do first. And I think what Jesus was saying is there's something, you can't even handle those, those things. Aren't even your fear. Let, you, you follow me. Do you trust God with your future? Um, I'm going to do this really quickly, but there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of biblical illustrations about that principle. Let me, let me show you a couple before we move on. Quickly, if you have your Bibles, 
Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. I want to show you an illustration from Scripture. I gave you an illustration from my life a second ago. Let me give you an illustration from Scripture. Exodus 32, I'll give you a little background. It's the story of Moses had gone up into the mountain actually to receive the tablets of God, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Joseph, or excuse me, Joshua was with him. Moses was there. He got the tablets. And Aaron was in charge of the nation of Israel. That's Moses' brother was in charge of the nation of Israel while Moses and Joshua were up getting the tablets, which again were the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Let me, uh, let me read to you Exodus 32. I'm going to read, oh, um, yeah, nine. I'll read the first nine verses. Just, just listen to the story. Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed, he's up there with God, the law of God, that he delayed in coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods, small g, that we should, that should go before us. And as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the, out of the land of Egypt, we do not has, even know what has become of him. And Aaron said to him, Break off your gold earrings, <coughs> which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people broke off all their golden, the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf, molded calf. And they said, Aaron made this thing. They said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Something that they had made, <coughs> that Aaron had crafted. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose up early on the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink. And then I think the next phrase is one of the saddest phrases in all of the Bible. It says they had an offering to the Lord, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, to the Lord, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Yahweh. And they rose up, they had the feast of the Lord, and they rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And, Moses, and, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, for indeed they are a stiff-necked people. You're good to me. Thank you. Okay. Here's exactly what happened. The nation of Israel, Aaron, I think, leading them, said, here's what, here's what we're going to do. He made the, the, old, the earrings, they brought the gold, they, they molded it into a calf like the nations around them, and he made him an idol, and he said, okay, from now on, this, this calf is going to be your God. And 
Let's worship that. But he led the people in an interesting thing. He said, let's have a feast to the Lord. And it's almost as if, folks, this. It's almost as if this. Let's get that out of the way so that I can do what I want to do. And I think that is so prevalent, too. And that is, the idea is that we're just like that today. You know, I'll serve God someday. I'll serve God partially. I'll serve God a little bit. But let me do what I want to do. Let me take care of that first. Let me get God out of the way. I'll have a little bit of God. But then I want to live my life for me. And I think if we're going to be people that trust God with our future, then we're going to have to be people that say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. I trust you. You know, folks, I think, and I'm talking... I'm talking to me, too. I think the thing most often that keeps us really from living for God, I think this is the great decision, if you will, today. I think the thing that keeps us from living for God as we should is me. I think the thing that keeps us from living for God is my plans, my life, my goals, my dreams. I think that's the thing. And this guy came to the Lord and said, the Lord said to him, follow me. And Well, let me take care of what I want to do first. Let me do that. And like the nation of Israel, that, okay, we'll do a little bit of God, but then I'm going to do what I want to do. I think the problem is that what I want to do, what I want to do is gets in the way of that. You've heard my, you've heard my story. I grew up in this, uh, even today, I grew up in this Christian home, Christian family. My parents were not well-to-do. There's no way that my parents could have afforded to send me to college, let alone a school that I wanted to go to. I was a high school basketball player, largely because I grew six inches in one summer. That was, I had a lot, had a lot to do with it. And I wanted to be, ever since 10th grade, I wanted to be a writer. So God, right, God worked it out. I can do what I want to do, and somehow God is pleased. I can go to college for free, basketball scholarship. I can major in journalism. That's what I wanted to do. Life is good because I get to do what I want to do. And the problem is I never asked God if that's what he wanted to do. Are we really... Folks, I know this is hard. Are we willing to follow God even if it's not what we want to do? Even if it's not all of our lives all planned up? Are we really willing to trust God that God can take care of our future no matter what? Or are we really saying, hey, I'm the one that's going to take care of my future. And if if things are lined up, then great, then great, I can trust God. Are we willing to say, God, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll follow you. Number three. Number three, obviously, you know where I'm headed, and that is, are we willing to trust God with our past? Here's the third person. <clears throat> Another said to him, verse, verse 61, Lord, I will follow you. I will follow you, but let me first 
I underlined in my Bibles, I have this phrase, me first, underlined and circled, because I think that's the exact problem, is let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. It doesn't tell us who they are, family, or visitors, or who. It doesn't really tell us who they are. Let me go say goodbye. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one, listen to this, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what is ahead. And that's why I say one of the things that keeps us from living for God is our past. No one that plows, right, put his hand to the plow and look back. My, my dad had this garden. I learned very early, like my dad was this perfectionist about, it, about his garden. I mean, he really was. I learned early on, terrible character trait. I'm telling you about Mel, I am. I learned very quickly, I could mess up on purpose. My dad would yell at me, and then he'd, get, then he'd kick me out. He wouldn't let me work in the garden anymore because he was a perfectionist. So I learned, I learned I could just mess up, I'd get yelled at, but then I could go play ball, okay? That was my, that was my life. But my dad had these old, they, I think they were antiques way back there, these old garden plows, wood that looked like it was on the ark. You know, and this, this middle thing that came down and the plow that turned, and, and he was a fanatic. He'd get out there with rulers. He'd get out there with uh, string. Remember those damn, he, his rows had to be exactly the same distance apart. Had to be. I mean, he was a fanatic about his garden. So you're out there, you look at the rows, you look at the ruler, you look at the string, that's it's right there. You don't do this because you're, right? You're not following the goal. You're not headed toward, as Christ would say, the kingdom of God. You're looking back. Why? Why do you think our past keeps us from living for God as we should? You look back. I think things were safe back there in some cases. Things were easy. There wasn't a whole lot of work to do back there. But I'm out in the middle now, and I look back, and I kind of liked it back there, and I didn't have to be precise, and I could look back, and things were protected, things were easy. And I think sometimes we look back, you ready for this? I think we look back because things sometimes were hard back there, and we have that memory. And even though we don't really want what's back there, we look back because we're afraid that that might happen again. And even though things were harder back then, right? Sometimes in our past, some of, some of us here, right? Your past was incredibly hard. And we look back and we're afraid we don't want those hard things to happen again and that pain might come back and... And yet, Jesus is saying, 
look ahead, it's the kingdom. And I think he's saying that our past is something that often keeps us from living for God as we should. You know, in the Bible, one of the principles of God's word is that our past is often something that God uses to help us minister, even though it was hard, even though it was, maybe it was easy, that our past was something that God uses for his kingdom. Turn with me to, sec- I know you know this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I know you know this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, if you want to deny in your Bibles, yeah, the, these are verses to remember forever. They are. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen, right? The God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abounds in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we're comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And I'll stop there. Folks, God doesn't want us to live in the past. God has his kingdom, has his work ahead of us. And it can be that our past, because it was easy, because it was safe, or because it was hard, and we have that memory, and we're afraid that that could happen again, instead of really trusting God and really seeking for his kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things should be added unto you. Okay, we've talked about three different characters, and we've looked at this contrast. Follow me or me first. Let's wrap this up by talking about how throughout all the New Testament, Christ's instruction to us was follow him. In Matthew 4, I put these in your notes so that I wouldn't take the time to have you turn there, but you know the story. Matthew 4 is the story of how Jesus called James and John and Peter and Andrew to follow him. They were fishermen, and Jesus said, from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus said to them, you know, follow me. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. And then again, the parallel passage in Luke 5, it says they forsook all to follow him. 
Now you ready for the next slide? By the magic of Microsoft, I highlighted a few things about that story where Jesus called James and John and Peter and Andrew. Look at the red on the PowerPoint slide. Immediately, they followed him. Immediately, then he all highlighted, they left their nets, they left the boat, they left their father. In Luke chapter 5, it says they forsook everything. Folks, here's the thing about James and John, Peter and Andrew, is when they followed Jesus, they left everything. Fishing was their career. Fishing was their livelihood. All their goals, all their dreams, all of everything that they had was wrapped up in that. Their father, they left him to follow Jesus. As we look at that, I think it's obvious that these apostles, that these disciples who became apostles were willing to trust God for their present. They left everything right then to follow Jesus. They uh, trusted God with their future. They had no idea what it meant. From now on, you're going to catch men. And they were willing to walk away from their past, the boat, the nets, everything, their father, the business, because I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. At the end of the Gospels, Peter and John and others are talking with Jesus right before Jesus went back to heaven. Remember, this is the passage where Peter's walking by Jesus, and John is there too. And Peter, incredibly human, says to Jesus, what about that guy? What about him? And it says in the passage, I can just visualize that Jesus stopped, turned around. Don't you? Looked at Peter right in the eyeballs and said, Peter, this is Mel's paraphrase. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. You follow me. The first thing that Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me. Learn from me. The last thing that Peter, that Christ ever said to, to, to Peter was, follow me. Stay close to me. Follow me. I think it's... I think it's the great decision of our day. I think it's more, I think we're more narcissistic than we could ever imagine. That life is about me, life is about my dreams, my plans, life is about doing what I want to do. Life is good if everything is lined up for me and it never, never is. Which is why we have to trust the Lord and why we have to be willing, as Romans 12 says, Apostle Paul writing to the Roman believers, this is my paraphrase, says to them, I beg you, in view of God's mercy, wow, praise the Lord, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, willing to do whatever it is God wants you to do, because it's a sacrifice. Put yourselves on the altar. I'm willing to do what God wants me to do. Set apart and pleasing to God. And then Paul writes, that's your reasonable act of service. That's your reasonable act of worship. I think the great decision is are we willing to follow the Lord? And I think there are times, folks, 
I think there are times when we hear the word of God and forgive my voice and forgive my human messenger this morning because you know me and you know that I need this stuff too. I do. But there comes time when we have to make a decision, a great decision. And that is, are we willing to trust God with everything and to follow him right now for our future and for our past? So I'm going to pray, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to be quiet just for a couple of minutes. And I'm going to let you pray first, silently, quietly. And you just pray, whatever it is God's telling you to do, whatever it is you want to respond to what God, and I, what I want you to do is whatever the category is, say, Lord, I will follow you no matter what. That's what I would like. But you pray and do what God tells you to do, and then I'm going to, then I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Sometimes we read your word, and it's incredibly encouraging. And we see your hand of love and comfort, and we see that you are the God of all comfort, the God that sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We focused on that this morning in our communion time. But sometimes we go to your word, Father, and we're convicted. And that's okay, too, because you want us to respond. And in this case, I think, like you said to Peter and Andrew and James and John and so many others in the Bible, I think what you're saying is follow me. God, sometimes stuff, sometimes circumstances, sometimes our goals and our dreams get in the way. Sometimes our past gets in the way. And God, I just pray in my heart, in my life, and in the lives of others that we would be willing to say and mean it with everything that's in us, Lord, I'll follow you unequivocally. I'll do that. And then do it. Father, I thank you for those of our dear people that prayed this morning. And God, I pray that you'd hear their prayers. Bless their prayers. Answer those prayers, God, for your glory, that we would be a people that would be about the business of following Christ, learning and staying close to him. Your kingdom's at stake, your work, fraternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, thanks for letting me share my heart this morning, and thanks for praying for my voice. And Peg, thanks for two cups of coffee, which I didn't finish either one of them. Hey, Lord bless you.